welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. Welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast. I'm Joe Deck, Leela McRae with me as usual. And Leland, we were at Salem, Virginia, where the state football season came to an end on Saturday with Riverheads winning yet another state championship, 45-14 to in dominating fashion against Galax. Yeah, the, the Riverheads Gladiators have a shiny new toy there. They got a new trophy in the trophy case, the, the ninth state championship to go in the case there, six in a row. And it, it's just an incredible run. I think the point that we hit the hardest on the radio the other day is, is just this is like unimaginable. Right. You know, no one has ever come close to doing this before with a six straight championship. They're extending that record. And I, I think it just it really stands out when, when you're watching them come into this game against a Galax team that knows them very well. And it was just a very business-like day for Riverheads. There was excitement, but, you know, kind of similar to what you see on a Friday night. And they just took care of business. It wasn't, you know, pull out all the stops because it's the championship. It wasn't, you know, anything different than usual. They just went out there, dominated, and and really showed that, again, reminded everybody and reinforced the fact that they are the best team in Class 1 by far. Yeah, and look, it's not just they're the best Class 1 team by far. They're the best team in this area by far. And and I know people in this area get frustrated when we talk about it. I know Class 1 fans get frustrated that maybe aren't from this area, but listen to our episode when we talk about the state playoffs, and and they don't like me saying Riverheads is going to blow their team off the face of the earth, but this happens, and that's why we say it. It's not our job to make them feel good. Or, or tell them, you know, whisper sweet nothings into their ear about it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay when you play Riverheads. You're going to lose. You're going to lose by a lot. And it's because of the dominance that that program has been able to sustain over a long period of time. That's why we feel that way about those games. It's why I feel that way about nine out of the ten games on Riverhead's schedule next year is because I, I just think they're going to keep – even the players they lose, as good as those players are, they've got other players who know that system already when they come through the door. So I, I think they're going to be pretty fine. I think they're going to be quite all right. And not to mention, they bring Caden Cook Cash back. They bring Luke Bryant back. So it's not like their entire offense just disappears. Dunlap is back at quarterback. So it, they're not going to be horrendous. And, and they're they're actually going to be really good. It's not like... Uh, with, you know, the other power in our area, Stewart's Draft, who loses, you know, a, a vast majority of their offense. I have questions like, OK, well, are, is the person coming in going to be able to pick that up? Not to mention they lose the vast majority of their offense. They use, they also lose option two and option three in Balzer and uh, Grigsby, I believe, was a senior, too, wasn't he? So, so. yeah, so that's why I have concerns about what draft might be. Riverheads, they lose some pieces in that attack, but they, yeah, they the keep Kate Cook Cash. They keep Luke Bryant. They keep Bennett Dunlap. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about Riverheads being able to sustain another year of success. I'm not worried about Riverheads really having anybody challenge them for a seventh straight title. No one in Class 1 is on that level. Not a single solitary team in Class 1 is on the same level as Riverheads. Riverheads will not play a Class 1 team where the game ends with Riverheads winning by any less than three scores. 
Yeah, and I mean, they've been doing that here, you know, within the 50 straight games that they've won. They've done that against all the class one teams they played. And, and most Except of those are in the and, and the one state and championship. Part, the first state championship, sure. Exactly. Accurate point. But we that's where we've seen, like, this separation here. And I think of, of the Galax teams that Riverheads has beat, that was the best of them. And I, and I think, I think honestly, I think this might have been the weakest of the Galax teams that they played in this stretch here. Um, obviously, the team that beat them the best, I'll put them there. But, I mean, I said what they needed to have was, you know, Ian Ashworth playing real well and running around and find, finding receivers and running the ball himself. He did that. His stat line's not bad. He, he had a big impact on that football game. And it's still this separation. I, they just didn't have enough weapons, and I felt like they had less weapons than 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 they've had these other times. I, I think Cole Pickett at quarterback last year was was very good, but also then he had Ashworth to throw the ball to and have a big day. I, I think Ashworth's a heck of a player. Um, but they also had the Beeman kid, and they they had a lot of weapons going on last year in that game to where Riverheads got out in front, and that's why they went on to have separation in that football game. But there was, you know, even when that game was start, you know, Riverheads was up by a little bit. You still had that little bit of worries because Galax was finding, you know, one play drives, two play drives and big scores. They didn't have that fire this year. And, you know, I, I feel like Riverheads stated early what, what were going on. And I think it happened about the time Caden Cook Cash pushed Ashworth down and on his way to the end zone said, no, you're not going to tackle me today. And, 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 you know, and that's a, a big statement to say that he did tackle him some, but, you know, he's just like, no we're going to win this game. I'm going to the end zone. And he did that. And it just set the tone from that point on to where even a 14, nothing halftime lead feels like more than that. And then the second half, they, you know, they get the stops they need, they get the scores they need. And, you know, Ken cook cash 224 yards, four touchdowns. If they went out there to stop him on Saturday, they did not do it. If, if they went out to stop Luke Bryan at all, 177 yards and a touchdown there too, didn't stop him either. They stopped fullback, but, I, I, whew, that what that, <laughs> that's the great thing about Riverheads. They can just go in any different direction and beat you. It was one of the three options that Riverheads has. They stopped. That's yeah. the one that graduates, by the way. So, yeah, that, that's why I, I just saw Riverheads win without Cole Burton really playing too big of a factor in that game in terms of offensive production. So, and again, I, I know folks in this area are tired of me telling them their team's not going to win against Riverheads and they're going to get blown out. But I'm sorry. That's just the fact of life. Like, you're going to get blown out when you play Riverheads. Sorry, Stewart's draft. That's going to happen. Buffalo Cap, Waynesboro, Wilson, Fort, Stanton. Like, not saying all those teams are going to be, you know, bad teams, but you're not Riverheads good. And, and that's, at the end of the day, What's going to happen? And, and, you know, Riverheads is one six straight. I do think they'll win a seventh straight. We'll see about eight next year. But, um, you know, it's just it, there is that big of a gap between Riverheads and these other teams. Now, I will say we did see the end of the class two game. And, and I guess we can kind of move on a little bit to some of the other games now. But King William Looked really impressive, and there went over Graham, 48-21. That was a close game at halftime, and they kind of pulled away there in the second half a little bit. I will say, I, I, don't, I didn't look at either one of those teams, and that's mainly because of the size they had, and say, yeah, Riverheads could definitely beat that team. I'm not saying Riverheads would definitely lose to those teams. I think they would be good games. I'd be very interested in the outcomes of those games. But um, that's the kind of team you're going to have to have. 
to beat a Riverheads is, I guess, my point. Uh, yeah, I mean, Keith William had the balance attack. I mean, they had the, the running back that was for real, that uh, the Claiborne kid that's going mm-hmm. to Wake Forest, absolutely as advertised. Worth. I was. I, that was the reason I wanted to go down early. I want to see. I want to see this kid that's going to Wake. Yeah, he's good. He's real yeah. good. But also, Graham. They had some big bodies, especially up front. They had that Brody Meadows kid who's committed to UVA. Um, I know VT's offered him. I think recently. Um, yeah, they had a lot of talent out in the field, and and I said it too. And, and as much as we've talked the last few years, where shoot, you start the season saying, I wish Riverheads would just you know forget class one and they just have the class two champion play them, you know, like I think that would be an interesting game. I think the size, the way the sizes would match up would be very interesting. And then, and then the athletes matching up too. I, I, I definitely think it, I, I don't have some uh, huge confidence. The Riverhead blows any of those teams out or, you know, I think it'd be very good games. I agree with you, but Keen William, I, the, the, the bookend here, which, you know, maybe Riverheads keeps on winning state championships. That's what we're projecting. But Keen William, they won the state championship on the noon game uh, before Riverheads won the first state championship in 2000. And here's Keen William winning their second championship. And now here's Riverheads winning their ninth. So Keen William kind of at each end of this run of that Riverheads has been on that that might continue. But Riverheads has, has won nine during that time and Keen William winning two. And, and people look at Keen William as a very good program. And here they are winning their second state championship. That's great. And they're, they're producing this talent to wake for it. You know, it's, but Riverheads has done a lot of winning in the in-between. Yes, they have. And, uh, you know, you look at class three, Phoebus, they win their eighth championship, knocking off LCA 22 to 14 at Liberty. You also had the other game at Liberty, which was Verina beating Broad Run 28-21. And what I think was, you know, the maybe the lone surprise there in state championship Saturday of uh, a team that I wouldn't have necessarily picked to win on Saturday, finding a way to win. Yeah, and good for them. That's a school's first state championship. So I, I always I always look for those on state championship Saturday, the schools that have the opportunity to win their first and the teams that actually do it. And, and, and I, you know, being a part of that when I was in high school, I loved that experience and being the first. And, and I, you know, that's about the only thing I could claim from that first Riverhead State Championship team because I think that program is, is it plays at a higher rate than they did back then. But on that first team and, and you know, setting that bar and, and that example – that's what they've done at Verina now. And that was a, a winning program that just finally got over that hump. But now are they able to get back there and back there? Uh, the, you know, that's it, it'd be interesting to watch. And then they'd be good teams on the way to do it. Class five had the most exciting finish on state championship Saturday. Stonebridge winning on a Hail Mary. Uh, it's their third state championship. And I believe all three have come down to the last play or I know the last two have. Yeah, the last two definitely have. But. That third one, I think, was close as well that Stonebridge won. Uh, they beat Maury 27-21 uh, in a play that was amazing to watch. I mean, the receiver is not in the end zone when he catches it and then has to beat the defender to get uh, uh, to the corner and, and dive in. Yeah, I mean, it was a Hail Mary type situation. The quarterback threw it a long ways. He caught it outside the end zone, gets in, and that was a tie ball game, and, and he wins. I mean, I think it was on Center. That was on mm-hmm. Sports Center on Sunday morning. That's that's amazing, and, and and good for them. That's their third all-time. They're a repeat champion, and, uh, you know, that's that's a young school that's already been to the state championship a bunch of times. They've won it three times now, and that's that's a program that just stays on top. Class 6, uh, speaking of staying on top, Class 6, Oscar Smith, they win another state championship. That's a team that is always making deep runs, and uh, they beat James Madison 42-17 to at ODU on Saturday. The interesting thing, everybody was hyping that game that the Ethan Vasco kid for um, 
for Oscar Smith that he was committed to ODU and they're playing on ODU's field and, you know, he feels right at home and that, that's where he's going to star in these coming years. Well, he goes and wins that game on that field and the next day decommitted. He's no longer an ODU commit. And so I'm interested to see who he signs on with uh, Wednesday. He's going to be early sign-in period on Wednesday. I'm really interested to see, you know, what why he changed his mind. I would have to assume it's a power five opportunity or, or something like that for him to, to pull out of there. Yeah, it's it's you don't know. Right. We don't know who's been talking to him. And so I do think you're right when he starts talking about I'm sure he'll on his social media, he'll redo the countdown of teams he's considering. I'm sure ODU will still be on that list, probably. But it'll be interesting to see the other names on that list. Um, Yeah, it will be. It very much will be. But you have on here Stonebridge and Oscar Smith, the only ones now with consecutive state championships. And can they uh can they get to four? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how crazy it is. I mean, these two teams just did the, the hardest thing of winning back-to-back, to, you know, having the target on your back, winning it again, and they still got to go win four more to match what Riverheads. I think it just re, restates how impressive this streak at Riverheads is doing. And I know we'll end up asking Patrick later in the, in the podcast about, about the history and, and what all the, how the layout here with Riverheads winning six in a row, but I – you look at these dominant teams that have just won two state championships, even in just the same calendar year, and you're asking them to go do it four more times. You want to hold, you want freshmen coming in next year to win state championships every year before they're matching what Riverheads is, is currently doing. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, um, there's been a few teams that have won four in a row, but no one other than Riverheads has won five in a row, and Riverheads. I mean, look how six look how think, so. dominating Appomattox has been during this stretch. Mm-hmm. That you know, Street Draft lost two of them to them, but they were absolutely dominant through there. And you know, Graham's they're, the they're team every that breaks year. that they're streak. Yeah. Year and they still can't find a way to just win every single one of them. But Riverheads has, and honestly, they Riverheads have started blowing everybody out in state championships. I mean, ever since that Galax one, they won by seven. They've really been games where they've really separated themselves. Well, even the two before the Galax seven point one was a were blowouts. I mean, Shalawi was not in those games, so that's true too. Yeah, I mean, Galax is the one that kind of stands out of that stretch. Sussex Central, two Chilhowies, and you do have a close Galax one, and now two Galax high number ones. Yeah, I mean, that Galax one kind of sticks out. I that's the thing. I we talk about Riverheads. I it doesn't seem like the the gap is closing. It seems like it's widening. It just seems like it's it, and and I know other schools. Other schools will get better. I mean, we we saw Riverheads kind of raise the bar locally, and teams caught up, and, and then there's been times to beat them. Now, Riverhead stays the constant. They're always one of the you know always one of the best. Those other teams trade and go up there, but at some point, Class One is going to you know after they keep seeing the standard, it'll it'll rise up at some point. But Riverheads keeps getting better. I I, I it's hard for me to tell. Like someone asked me today, you know, is this the best Riverheads team they've ever had? And I'm like, you know, I don't know, but Definitely can't argue against that because, man, they're good this year. And then last year, and the combination of the two, like it was just – it's just the stretch that continues because you get the similar group. You know, you have a lot of kids that return in every single year. It's never just some come, some clean slate, and it just continues, and it's it's hard to argue. I, I do think my 2000 team that I used to put on the pedestal, like, I, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't want to see that team go up against – <laughs> against this team and yeah. the 2010 team is a team I usually really pull out as because they were so good offensively and they won that state championship but all season they were good offensively I, you know I don't know I, it's hard to say because I always put 2000 
on the top of that list because that was the undefeated state championship year. Well, now Riverheads has done that three years in a row. So it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to argue against particularly this group here. Uh, I don't know which one of these teams and that's a coach. That was a, that's a question I'd like to ask coach Casto off air and get an honest answer out of, him. I know on air, he would never, he would never say, and probably even off air, he's probably not going to tell me, but I I'd love to know the guy that knows him the best, what his real opinion is there. So, uh, I, I would love to know an answer to that question. Yeah. Well, maybe someday you'll get that answer. But college football, uh, really only one thing to talk about there right now because we we did touch on Tech and UVA's bowls. Um, we will talk about Tony Elliott being the UVA coach here in a second. But JMU played Montana in a playoff game on Friday night. They won that one fairly decisively, 28-6, to which sets up a semifinal matchup against North Dakota State. They've lost the last two times they've played North Dakota State, their only win in Fargo in a semifinal. So it'll be interesting to see if they can do it again. This is their last last hurrah in FCS. Uh, North Dakota State would seem to be that team that might be their biggest challenge at this point. Yeah, Sam Houston State lost last week. So a lot of people are billing this these semifinal between these two teams as – the, the national championship, because whoever wins it is going to be the favorite in that national championship game against uh, Montana State or South Dakota State. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Friday night, 9-15, uh, I think it's like ESPN or ESPN2. I, those games are fun to watch. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to JMU being in one of these bowl games coming up. You know, we, we, there's a lot of Sunbelt teams coming up in the next week with, with a bunch of these bowl games running right before Christmas. And, I mean, I'm actually – you know, my wife is very excited about the JMU game, but I would be more excited about some of these bowl games if they were in it, uh, you know, for JMU. I, I, I really would. I, so I'm, I'm excited about the future there. I, I'm, I'm done looking back for JMU. If they win the championship, this, oh, great. I'll celebrate it. I'm happy. But I'm really excited about the future. I'm, I'm tired of complaining about the CAA and all that stuff. I, I, I want to look to the future because it's all worth it. All, everything that's getting sacrificed now will be so worth it. And it does sound like, you know, the Sun Belt has helped them out with, a vast Scheduling. majority of their schedule for next year, which I didn't think was going to be possible. So uh, credit to the Sun Belt and, and Jeff Bourne for getting that done. That's, that's a big impressive. deal. Impressive, really impressive to get the scheduling worked out like that. So Tony Elliott, after, uh, after news broke that he came to Charlottesville and then left Charlottesville, with, did not have a contract, so it looked like they were moving on from Tony Elliott. And that's after the Poindexter thing fell apart. Yeah, Last the Poindexter thing fell apart. Poindexter was uh, then Tony better. Elliott was the favorite. Tony Elliott flies in. Tony Elliott flies out. Tony Elliott is no longer the favorite. Uh, there's rumblings of a different coordinator maybe, but then Tony Elliott comes back, I think it was the next day or, or two days at the most, uh, and then does have a deal. So they do well, they settle the in on of- Tony Elliott as the head coach, and uh, he will be leading the Virginia Cavaliers. And the board of visitors, I think, from what I can gather, and, you know, the rumblings, uh, he, he demanded that commitment for more money for facilities and everything. And so since, like most colleges, can't just, you know, the AD just can't say, yeah, you got it. it we have, you know, get real approval, have something real for me, and then, and we'll, then we'll talk. They had to wait till Friday. The board of visitors voted on it. He got on a plane as soon as that, and as soon as that vote was done. So I think it was just some part of negotiating and making sure who he's coming to work for is serious about winning at UVA. And, um, you know, I respect what he says, you know, that UVA was an interesting school to him when it became open. 
you know, before and now this time. And he never thought it would have come open this time because he thought Bronco was doing a good job. Um, the academic standards that UVA holds and everything. I, I, I appreciate what he says there. Um, but college football comes down to money and you have to have that commitment. And I credit him to, you know, not calling him on it, but in a way, yeah, like, okay, make that real. And then I'll, and then we'll talk. And, and that's what happened. And I think it's smart for the university to do that. Cause I think no matter who you get, that commitment of money is going to be useful. And I think Tony Elliott, you know, this is a guy, I, I can't lie about this. This is a guy four weeks ago on this podcast. I was saying, I hope Virginia Tech's talking to this guy like this. The, he's been really successful at Clemson with their offense and he's had too much success there for me to ignore. And I know this year didn't go well for them, but the six previous years were the best in the game, you know, right up there, right beside Alabama. And, you know, I can't ignore that. So I, I'm not going to sit here now on this podcast and try to say he's some kind of bad coach. I'm rooting against him more than I used to be. Uh, but you know, um, we're going to see how he's able to do in that environment. You know, he's coming from Clemson. Uh, he played at Clemson. He really knows that, that, um, mentality of football that they have at Clemson from the fans, from the commitment, um, the whole energy around the program. I don't feel like UVA has a comparable, you know, vibe there for football. So he's going to have to create that. So if he's able to create that, if he's able to, you know, pick this program that was already rising. I, I, you know, definitely rose in the last couple of years. This year was maybe a little bit of hiccup in that step, but use that momentum that's built and carry it forward in his own way. I, you know, there's an opportunity for success there. I, I just have to say I'm not rooting for it, you know, and I, I want to, I want him to be, you know, oh, and however many times he plays Virginia Tech. That's that's my view, but uh, I think he's a good mind and he has an opportunity. He now with that money. And what UVA has and where they sit in, the, in a coastal division of the ACC, if, if he's super successful, he, he'll make the most of it. And if he's not, then I'll cheer. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think, I think that's a good point. I, I think UVA made a good hire. Yeah. Um, but bowl games start this week as well. Um, I don't know if we're – since we have the pro pick, I'm still going on. I don't know if we'll do a bowl pick them, but um, I throw one together. Okay. All right, real quick, who you got? Middle Tennessee or Toledo in the Bahamas Bowl? See, I this is why I I didn't want to do this right now. I got to look into some of these because I just haven't watched a whole okay, lot of Middle Tennessee what's, State. What's your initial thought? I haven't you watched look- a whole lot of Toledo. My initial thought would be Toledo. First time looking. Okay. Um, I agree. I actually agree with that one. And Northern then, Illinois, uh, Coastal Carolina, and the Cure Bowl. My initial thought would be Coastal. Me too. Saturday, Boca Raton Bowl, 11 a.m., uh, Western Kentucky, Appalachian State. Appalachian State. I agree. Celebration Bowl at noon, South Carolina State, Jackson State. We're going to see some Dion in a wheelchair, right? I guess Jackson State. <laughs> That's where Dion's at. New Mexico Bowl at 215, UTEP versus Fresno State. Fresno State. Pick UTEP. Yeah, I got UTEP there. Independence Bowl, 330, BYU versus UAB. Who are you thinking? BYU. Mobile Bowl, I agree. Mo- Mobile Bowl, 545, Eastern Michigan versus the school from Virginia called Liberty. Liberty, but that's me not looking at Eastern Michigan at all. I'm going with rooting interest. Eastern Michigan. Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. Who does? Who do you have winning the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl between Utah State and Oregon State? Yeah, no idea. I mean... Look, just looking at it, you'd say probably Oregon State, but I don't know anything about Utah State. I got to look and see who they played and how they did. And I don't think a lot of Oregon State, but 
I think nothing of Utah State. I, I think Jimmy Kimmel's going to lose here. I think that's what Probably. I think. Probably. That's, that's not <laughs> a great game. New Orleans Bowl versus with Louisiana and their coach that's just left them and Marshall, who's coming to the Sun Belt. That's an interesting game. I think that, that might be the best game of the first weekend here. Um, yeah, and that's why I'd lean Louisiana, but Marshall's not bad. Yeah, it's all going to be the story of how Louisiana is doing with their coach gone. That's now, true. Good point. They hired within there. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, they have their future leader there. So, it, you know, this is a quick adjustment, but they will have a couple of weeks. I'll stick with Louisiana there because I, I think what Napier did there was good. I have a little faith that it'll, you know, kind of carry on without him a little bit. All right. And then going into next week before we record again, Monday is the Myrtle Beach Bowl between Old Dominion and Tulsa. They'll play on Coastal Carolina's home field. I would lean Tulsa. I'm leaning Tulsa, too. I was hoping to go to Dominion. And then Tuesday, as the podcast comes out, Idaho Bowl, uh, Kent State, Wyoming. No idea. I do know Bill Roth is doing the game, so that's exciting. Unfortunately, the game's at 3.30 on a Tuesday, so I probably will not be watching it. I'm going to rush home for Bill. Yeah, probably not. I might get to catch (laughs) the fourth quarter if the game goes long. But... Kent State and Wyoming are two teams that haven't watched a lot of. I, you know what? It's in Idaho. I'll lean Wyoming. We're leaning a lot of the same ways there. Frisco Bowl, I think, is a very interesting game next Tuesday mm-hmm. night, 730 ESPN. You have San Diego State, who's ranked 24th, and you have University of Texas, San Antonio, who is undefeated deep into the season and ranked way low for being undefeated. So it's kind of, they have something to prove there. Um, so I think that's an interesting game. I think that's a winnable game for UTSA, but still San Diego state's a solid program. So who do you got? Uh, I, I would agree. I think this is going to be an interesting game. I think I watched a little bit of UTSA's game against UTEP that happened to be on TV when I was looking for something to watch. And that's one of the reasons I'm not picking UTEP. They did not look good at all. But UTSA, it was hard for me to see. They definitely are good. And, and I thought were more deserving of a higher rank than they were getting. But it was hard to read if what they were doing to UTEP was because UTEP was so bad or because they were actually good. San Diego State is another one of those teams that when they're playing really well, they're good. But they, they're not consistent enough. And yeah. so... With the Frisco Bowl, it's hard to kind of figure out which team is going to show up there for the Aztecs. I'm going to lean San Diego State, but I would not be shocked if UTSA finds a way to win. That's uh, Brady Hoke out there coaching at San Diego State. Uh, I guess he's former Michigan coach. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll take San Diego State here just to be different. But uh, I think that's going to be San Diego State. You, you did? Mm-hmm. Mm, damn it. Well, then I'll sit there still, though. So we only got one difference so far. But you could do your research. we get the bowl, pick them up, uh, we'll get that out there. It might, might might not happen, though. All right. Uh, the Heisman, I just feel like it's so irrelevant anymore. I, I just I can't remember last year I was excited about even talking about the Heisman. Like, these last couple of years, just like, oh, that guy's going to win, and he does, and it's fine. There's just no hype around that award anymore. 
Yeah. There is an August and it's all, you know, Spencer Rattler and like, he's not even at Oklahoma now. He's going to South Carolina. Like I, I just, I feel like the Heisman is means more in August and September than it does in December. And I think that's not what you want. If you're the Heisman ceremony, you want them watching the ceremony and caring. Yeah. But I think that's also because just of the way the award has been. I felt if they were ever going to give it to a defensive player again, it was probably going to be this year just because I know Bryce, Ron- Bryce Young had a great SEC championship, but there was a lot of games during the regular season that he wasn't great. And so I kind of felt like the, I think the Michigan defensive end was the only Hutchinson was the only one they invited uh, as a finalist, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, I'm sure if Georgia had won the SEC championship, that might have been different. But he was finished third or second. No, he finished second. Yeah. So I kind of felt like maybe this was the year for for him to win a a defensive player. Uh, But they decided not to. So it just it really makes it hard to, to think. And maybe they need to change what that award is instead of the best overall player in college football. It should just be the best offensive player in college football because that's what they're going to do. There are a lot of years I think maybe the best overall player in college football is a defensive player and that they're not even considered. So, um, yeah, to your overall point, though, of the Heisman, I just, yeah, it's not exciting. So, and then Spencer Rattler going to South Carolina. I mean, that'll make me root against South Carolina. I know Shane Beaver's there, but I won't be rooting for him. Yeah, I'm going to take a break next year because I'm not rooting for him. All right, let's quickly touch basketball. The Hokies is just not what we were wanting them to be. I'm not saying they can't get it going, but they got some corrections to make. Uh, They beat Cornell, which they're supposed to, but then lost another close one. They lost to Dayton and to come back to make it close. I think this game on Friday against St. Bonaventure is another one of those that, like, they could lose, uh, like, legitimately lose and I really want them to win to kind of prove to me that the next game against Duke is something that we're going to win. Cause a couple of weeks ago, I was just like, Oh, we're going to beat Duke. We're going to be, I said it on Thanksgiving. I was like, right, we're going to beat Duke. That's coming. Um, and now I have a lot less confidence in that. Yeah. I don't even have confidence that they can beat St. Bonaventure. So we'll see what happens. Um, they, yeah, they're just not consistent right now. And obviously we're, we're hoping that picks up. Once conference play rolls around and we start to get to the you know meat and potatoes kind of of the schedule and tournament talk, but right now they have not been very consistent. And, and that Memphis loss doesn't look good anymore. Nope. And then you look at UVA; they lost to JMU. You add that to the rest. Iowa may end up not being a bad loss. Houston's not going to be a bad loss, but Navy and JMU; those are not good losses. losses. Those, those are, are not losses. good losses. And in the Houston game, they did not look competitive. I am starting to worry about UVA in the sense that, and they needed kind of like a five-second call to beat Pitt. Uh, So it's gotten to the point now where I've gone from, UVA is having a slow start like they occasionally do, but they'll figure it out come conference time too. UVA just might not be very good this year. And that's not me saying Tony Bennett is not good at his job and Tony Bennett should be on the hot seat or anything like that. I'm not... My goodness, now, yeah. The the people who tweet that I think are crazy people, but um, I, I do think 
this is just going to be a year where maybe UVA is not very good. And maybe they don't make the tournament if they don't start playing a lot better consistently. So the losses to Navy and JMU are going to be the kind of losses that if you're a bubble team, the committee looks at and goes, mm, I don't know about this. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, so that so we talked about UVA's disappointing loss to JMU. JMU, that was a great win for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a team that not that far removed from a national championship. That was the first big game uh, with fans allowed to fill up that place um, at the new arena there. And uh, that was a great night for JMU. And then they do well following it up, beat another in-state school, beating Radford in a game that, you know, both teams had 10-plus point leads at different times. Uh, so, uh, you know, a good week for JMU basketball for sure. I think, I think, you know, that coach is doing a good job there. He really is. Yeah, and again, I think that's why when he was hired, I had, you know, I had kind of said, let's see what he's got. He can't be worse than the guy that he's replacing, and he's very much better than the guy that he replaced. He got JMU to be the conference champion, uh, of regular season conference champion at the end of the year last year. If it hadn't been for an injury, I think they would have won the conference tournament. And this year, unfortunately, they're not able to compete for a conference championship. Uh, and so they won't be in the tournament. But they're, they're really good. Uh, they, they beat UVA. They fell behind big against Radford. Came back from a double-digit deficit to win that game, which is pretty impressive. And uh, definitely never thought I'd say this, but J, uh, given what it was like when I was there, but the JMU men's program is definitely the the better basketball program right now at that university. Yeah, it's shocking with the with the girls are really struggling this year and just down on talent and really surprising. It's it's the worst. Uh, they had five five straight losses. It was like the first time since like the early '80s or something like that. Just a really surprising stat there because that that carries well before even Kenny Brooks was the coach there. So just really surprising that they're having this struggle right now. So uh, it is probably. I- they're going to see more struggles is the problem. Sure. It's, this isn't ripping off a bunch of great teams. Some of them have been good. Maybe they don't lose a lot of five straights, but losing five straight right now, including the teams they did, means they're going to lose more games down the stretch, and that, and that's not good. No, and I'm not going to – you know, I'm not saying it's time to move on from Coach O'Regan. I, I'd say he's probably got another year or two to figure it out when he gets to the Sun Belt. But I, I will say this. In a year that you can't make the tournament anyway – if you're going to have a bad year, might as well be this year. So it's kind of a lost season no matter what you do. So if you're going to have a bad one, you might as well throw it in there. VCU women, they've lost two straight for the first time this season. They lost on a heartbreaking buzzer beater against Buffalo at Buffalo where they battled all the way back to tie the game. But Buffalo made a buzzer beater at the end to end up winning that game. And then against South Florida, it's the number 17 team in the country they played, a team that lost by single digits to UConn and Tennessee. They beat Oregon and Stanford. VCU was up in that game for the vast majority of it. Uh, They just weren't able to close it out. South Florida went on a run in the fourth quarter, and uh, VCU came up short. But I I will say, when when VCU is playing at their best in a game, you can see why this team absolutely is capable of winning an Atlantic 10 championship this year. It's just going to be finding ways to keep that kind of intensity going it's going to be defense for them uh they're really really solid defensively and that is i think their biggest strength um so i still look at that team as 
definitely a favorite in the Atlantic 10 to win it this year as they get ready for conference play at the turn. Uh, I think their first conference game is actually uh, January 1st. Well, I know they sound good when, when they're playing at home. That's, that's what I like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the NFL, all three local teams that we talk about had to fight back at the end of the games. Uh, on Thursday night, the Steelers had to come back from, I think it was 29 nothing at halftime. Uh, they fought all the way, you know, fought back, uh, but they lo- lose that game 36-28. Uh, Baltimore had to fight back with Lamar out of the game, hurt. They had to fight back and still lose by two. And then Washington, they were down 24 nothing at halftime and uh, had to come back, but it wasn't enough. So a lot of our local teams, and, and it wasn't, those weren't the only big comebacks happening mm-hmm. this weekend. Um, but, yeah, our local teams just not separating themselves by any means. Your Baltimore Ravens are the best of the bunch there, but, you know, they were looking better, and they've really come back to the pack, and there's a lot of doubt surrounding that team now. Yeah, it's, well, especially with Lamar Hurt. Um, I think Huntley's a good quarterback. I, I just – if you're asking me, do you want him to be – sorry? Is that the UCLA kid? Mm-hmm. I think so. Okay. But if you're asking me, do you want him to be your number one guy – uh, going toward a playoff run in a in a playoff stretch, no, I, I don't. So, and that's because of what our running game is. If we had J.K. Dobbins, I think yeah, I think then that's I'm not as worried. But Lamar, in addition to being a, a pretty good passing threat this season, is also the only really rushing attack we have this season. Because of injuries, so with him out now, you lose not just your passing game. Uh, but your running game, and, and that's where it hurts the Ravens the most. Still, they almost beat the Browns, but almost isn't good enough in the NFL. So, two point loss at Cleveland in the division doesn't really help. Um, the only positive there is everybody at this point in the season, and of course, this is maybe the worst kind of PR for the NFL. A lot of big name players, and it, it feels just like a lot more teams are just mangled the first year they try to go to the 17 game schedule. We're not even at like game 17 and you're, you're seeing the, the injury list for these teams just get bigger and bigger. And it's, it seems to be key player after key player at this point. Yeah. And the league hates when their stars are out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Huntley actually went to Utah. I knew he was pack pack 12. Out there, okay. But he went to, yeah, um, was, but yeah, they got the Packers next though. The Ravens do. So yeah, I don't feel great about it. Need Lamar for that. And, Uh Yeah, Uh, but I do want to ask your take on the Steelers game. Chase Claypool getting a first down on fourth down with no timeouts and the clock running, and he's celebrating a first down. Are you more mad at the offensive lineman for smacking the ball out of his hand and even more time going out because of that, or are you more angry at Chase Claypool for just having zero awareness of what's going on in the game? I feel like, are you more mad at the person that committed the murder or the person that, like, you know, drove them away from the murder? Like, I'm more mad at the person that murdered somebody. I'm more mad at Chase Claypool even having something to happen there for the offensive linemen to react to. Like, just why do we keep producing these diva wide receivers in Pittsburgh? Like, you're in Pittsburgh. Like, we're so far away from, like, what a Heinz Ward receiver was. It's just ridiculous. I I hate it. It's where I feel a lack of connection with this team is these continued receivers that are just so outside their head. It's unbelievable. And Juju Smith Schuster still on the roster, just hurt. I mean, he's one of those as well. And we, 
We know what Antonio Brown was and is. And and there's it's just I'm I'm sick of it. I can handle it out of the running backs because we seem to just let them go, and that's fine. But these receivers stick around, and it drives me nuts. I I you know you talk about Virginia Tech and just you know clear clear the earth there and get every get rid of everybody and bring back all new players, all new coaches. I'm not necessarily down on the coaches with Tomlin. I'm not saying get rid of him, but none of the players make me happy. Other uh, what? <laughs> I like Watt. I was going to say, I would love for you to get rid of TJ Watt. Offensively, I, you know, other than the new draft pick, uh, Najee Harris, Alabama running back, but if you can replace him similarly, I'll be okay. Like the offense absolutely drives me nuts and the lack of depth at quarterback and all that just, just drives me nuts. And Ben should have retired maybe two years ago, but after last year when he just completely fell off a cliff, you thought that was the indicator, uh, they begged him to stay because they didn't have things properly dealt with the roster. This is this is the product of that, and I, I just hate that we don't have a better quarterback coming up behind him. These teams, you know, the Colts said, "All right, Peyton, you've been great, but we got to move on." And you know, all right, Brett Favre, you know, you've been great, but we got to move on. And uh, Patriots, all right, Tommy boy, you've been great, but we got to move on. And all those teams seem to be better for it. I know the Colts, you know, didn't get everything out of luck that they thought they would, but he was a darn good quarterback. And Aaron Rodgers, darn good quarterback. And uh, Matt uh, Mac Jones, Matt Jones at uh, at the Patriots. It looks like it's headed in the right direction there, and to say the very least. So that's a good lesson for the rest of these teams. Like you're, you're going to get into a spot with these quarterbacks, and all the teams that make the harder decision seem to get to be good quicker after. So I, I just, I think that's a solid lesson to learn. Well, and I will say this, it goes back to that old saying you want to, you'd rather be a year early than a year late. And it does kind of feel like for the Steelers, it's like you're going on two years late, maybe even three. Like it's, it's just been big Ben's time. It was, it has been over for a while. I just thinking while you're saying that, going back to Claypool, but just the dynamic around this. I just, Tomlin's got to get a better control about this. I know he's, I, I like Tomlin. I really don't. I'm really not mm-hmm. calling for him to be out. I, I, like I've said a couple weeks ago, I'm used to my, the same coach forever. I like that. That's what I like in a coach. And I'm not asking for him to be out. He's got to start controlling this atmosphere. Cause now we got guys on TV having comments about the Pittsburgh locker. It just like, we, I, we don't need all this. That's not what Pittsburgh football is and has been. And, and, that's a big part of all, all this drama surrounding it. Just stop it and clean it up and let's get back to running the football well and having a quarterback that's not ancient and let's go and let's make some hard decisions. Not, let's stop being nice. Let's start being mean and start being the Steel City again. Yeah. Well, let's bring on Patrick Kite. Let's get nice with Patrick Kite. Patrick Kite joining us back on the Yak Sports Podcast. And Patrick, you were at Salem, Riverheads, state champions like we covered earlier in this podcast. Again, that's six straight state championships. They've won 50 consecutive games. And that's the longest active streak in the in the nation currently in high school football. They're two away from tying the VHSL record, three away from winning, uh, breaking that record. Uh, for most consecutive wins in the VHSL. Just what is your take on all of the history that surrounds 
that state championship for Riverheads, just the latest in a string of state championships? You know, I, I, I don't even know how to describe that because it is just simply a, an amazing accomplishment because we're talking about, you know, a high school program that's able to do that. So you're not, you're not recruiting kids. You're not bringing the kids. You're just, you're dealt the hand, you know, you've got the kids that you've got and yet somehow Robert Castro and that coaching staff manages to get success out of those players year after year after year. And it, it just seems like, you know, he's just, he's reloading every year. Right. I mean, you know, as Zach Smiley graduated from, now you got Caden Cook-Cash, who's only a sophomore and he's a standout. And, and even this year, you know, if, if Caden Cook-Cash, if you didn't want to hand him the ball, then, then you've got, you know, Luke Bryant back there. You've got, uh, you've got Cole Burton who, who had a fantastic year. I mean, it's just, it's simply amazing what they've been able to do. Um, and, and obviously, and no, nobody in this area is going to ever match that. Um, and, and the six straight state championships, I don't know if any school in Virginia will ever match that again because you, you think it's pretty balanced, you know, and it's tough. It, it's so difficult to win even back-to-back state championships. So I just don't see any team ever getting to that point again. So I, I think Riverhead's place in history is, is secure as, as one of the, the great football programs ever. Uh, in in this state yeah and i mean even if a school is on a a similar kind of run whether it's you know five years from now or or six years from now or 60 years from now they're gonna have to pass riverheads and that's that's what i really like is that that that's gonna be a a far enough bar out there that you know we still talk about when people pass 61 home runs or you know or or, or no one really does lately but like you always talk about those numbers that did live on for a while or that were that impressive so that's something that really I'm excited about going into the future that they're, they're tied to that. And I think it's interesting to have this long winning streak, you know, of the, of the 50 games now. And, and I, I really hope they're able to make it to the 53 to surpass. And um, you know, it's just interesting to me that there's the the parallel at these local schools. I know it's two different sports, but you know, Stanton won every basketball game for like three years and here's Riverhead's doing it for, you know, three years now and, and uh, you know, into a fourth season. I, 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 I think it's really interesting, the parallel between these two programs that are all, you know, 10 miles apart. You have Coach Hatcher and everything he built and the legacy that lived on uh, behind, you know, after he retired. And then they still went in after him a good bit. And, and here's Coach Casto, who's still doing it. But, you know, it, it, it feels like something that's going to be able to live on past him. Yeah, you're right. I mean, um, it, 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 we like to compare those two programs. And, and I know this is just a, a sports talk. This is kind of the the Michael Jordan or LeBron James discussion, right? <laughs> Which one's greater? I don't think you can make, I don't think there's an answer to that. Not a correct answer because they're both the streaks that, that both, you know, Paul Hatcher and, and Stanton put up and now what Robert Castro and Riverheads have done. They're both just simply mind boggling almost to, to sit down and look at those streaks. I mean, uh, Paul Hatcher had 897 career wins and, he won 85 straight games, which in basketball is so difficult because you're playing maybe two or three times a week and you never, you know, you would think that these are high school kids at some point, they're going to have an off night. 
you know, if, especially if they play on a, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday or something, you're going to think, oh, they're going to have an off night. And to, to be able to put together 85 wins in a row is is just fantastic. And But then Riverheads, I mean, just do what they've done for since 2018. So, yeah, it's, it's fun to compare those two, but um, I, I don't think there's a clear winner. I think it's just both both have just been absolutely amazing. I, I did a uh, I did a book on Paul Hatcher. Yeah, I'll be doing a book on Robert Castro. He, he doesn't seem like uh, he, he doesn't seem like the kind of person would ever want a book written about him. But <laughs> but it's he deserves it. He, he deserves it because of what he has been able to accomplish at that school. I you know. And, I, and this is no, I, and, no, and I'm not really trying to state one higher than the other, but I feel like we've had this discussion for three plus years now, <laughs> you know, from the middle of this streak that we, that, that like three years ago, I think we really brought up the Paul Hatcher comparison because like the state title number got the same or whatever, you know, Coach Castro's passed that and now he's won all these championships in a row. It just, it does make me start to, you know, you know, start leaning, leaning that decision maker over just because. You know the decision that discussion's been ongoing, and Robert just keeps on adding to those numbers on beside his resume. No, I think I think that's uh, that's true. Um, uh, you know, and and then of course, if you you want to get into, I mean, obviously when 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 Paul Hatcher was winning games, I mean it was three classifications, right? And so 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 yeah. class two, you know, you had a lot more schools, in there. and then that's not to take anything away from what Riverhead has done. I mean, all you can do if you're Robert Castro and Riverhead is beat the teams on your schedule and they've done that uh for for 50 straight games now um and, and it's not like they don't play competition i mean they, they look at the shenandoah district you've got uh you've got four teams in there that are class three um and and, and plus stewart's draft has been a dominant program for the last few years in class two and riverhead just beats them all just just, yeah. just you know here here's bigger competition we don't care we'll be Excuse me. So I, I think um, emotional. Talk I, I, about, I think know. about it. It chokes me up. It yeah. just chokes me up how how great these programs are. But, but yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think and I'll, I'll take it while you're coughing. I, you know, I I agree with what you're saying, and and I'm really not trying to say one's better than the other because they they both have their individual influence too. And, and I think you know if we're comparing those two, we're splitting hairs. I mean, and that's the thing. And I I know Coach Castor well enough to he he respects what coach Hatcher has built there and done there. And he understands that history as well. So uh, there's definitely, you know, no slight, not, not that I don't know if he listens to this podcast uh, enough for us to, for him to know what we're saying about him, but you know, it, it, we're splitting hair. You know, we're, we're talking between, uh, you know, Dean Smith and uh, <laughs> you know, Phil Jackson or something, you know, like just we're putting top coaches and we're talking. And if you're in that discussion, it's amazing, but it's just crazy that this close together, you know, that, that, you know, it's almost like the Coach K. You bring up Dean Smith. It's almost like yeah, Coach, Coach K, K and Dean yeah. Smith, right? Because yeah, because yeah. Coach Obviously. K has far surpassed the numbers that Dean Smith put up. He surpassed the championships that Dean Smith won. So, it's purely numbers game, Coach K is a better a, a better coach and has had more success. But I, I really think it was a different era, of course, when Dean Smith is coaching. So, I think that's your I think that's your comparison is that. It was a bit of a different error, and it's a different sport too. That, that what Paul Hatcher was doing. I, I just, you know, I, I think it's just it's fun to discuss. But in the end, they're, they're just both, yeah. just both simply amazing what they have done. And and something I've been saying that kind of hit me mid season. Ever since they 
beat Lord Botetod, and and then even the game after draft. I think that's when it really hit me was, you know, Robert Castillo is also about adding to his resume at this point. Like he he has this long winning streak. He has these state championships. He's just changing the front number of all these things. I mean, his his resume is not getting longer. It's just getting numbers adjusted in front of all the amazing things he's done, all the runs he's been on. I mean, he plays all these big schools through the regular season and then absolutely demolishes class one in the playoffs. And, you know, the vast majority of his class one games competition have been in the playoffs. So it's just, it's, he, he always gets, and we play- talk about six, you talk about six straight state championships and, and how tough that's going to be for somebody to surpass. But let's face it, looking at this program and this team, is there any indication that they won't add to that? I, I mean, is there anybody in, in, in class one that is going to improve enough to compete with, with this Riverheads team and stop them from winning seven in a row or eight in a row? I mean, that's something I said in the A block too. I, I think this win, you know, last year with Galax and that state championship game, I think that's 63, you know, 65 or 63 points, whatever it was in the state championship game. I think that kind of was a little bit exaggerated, the difference between Riverheads and what the rest of class one was. I think this year was exactly like, they completely controlled the game for a half, 14 nothing halftime, but it felt like more. And then they just still dominated the rest of the game. And, and I think 45 to 14 feels like the separation between Riverheads and the rest of Class 1. Because I think they played these last three weeks, they played top five Class 1 teams. And, and these last two weeks, I think they played the, the number two and three best programs in the state. I, I, I mean, I think, and I think I wrote this in the story, I mean, when, when – uh, Caden Cook Cash scored that first touchdown and it was seven nothing. Did anybody? I, I'm not even sure the Galax fans felt like they could. You're only down a touchdown, but it just, it felt like at that point Riverheads had <laughs> did what Riverheads yes, always does, and oh, that Galax wasn't. Yeah, when he makes that play, you're like, okay, the Galax isn't coming back from from this. They're only down a touchdown, but they're not winning this game, and uh, you know maybe the. <laughs> So yeah, so I, I I don't know. I just I I just I don't see them slipping up anytime in the near future. I mean, I mean you got that kid for two more years, so uh, so at least you know that puts them at that at eight. So it, 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 no matter when it ends, it'll surprise us. No one's going to predict this right. unless yeah. you know they bring in Oscar Smith one year. You know, like that's it's going to take someone absolutely top of the level class six before someone's going to be like, oh yeah, Riverheads isn't going to win because even with Lord Botetourt. There was some discussion there, and Riverheads wiped that out. So even next year when Lord Botetourt comes, Lord Botetourt's going to be the underdog. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And, 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 yeah, so when the winning streak ends, it'll be a surprise. When the winning streak in the playoffs ends, that'll be, that'll be a huge surprise because, I mean, at, at what point is somebody at Class 1 going to be able to build enough to, to challenge? Yeah. I mean, I could see somebody in the regular season maybe. I mean, even if Stewart's draft has, has given yeah. Riverheads yeah, a, a yeah. game, right? So, I mean, so – if they lose in the regular season, then you're going to say, wow, but completely shocked. They lose in the playoffs in the next few years. Then I think you're going to be really shocked because there's just nobody at that level that can play with this Riverheads program. Yeah, I I don't know. There was a lot Leland said there that I don't know. You don't think Lord Botetourt's the underdog when they come to Riverheads next year after getting beaten the way they did Maybe last not year? Not necessarily. I mean, yeah, again, it's a Class 3 Region D team that was playing start. a lot better in the second half of the year than they were at the beginning of the year this year. Beginning of the year this year, they had a lot of new players in. Lord Botetourt got better. Riverheads didn't? I'd say Lord Botetourt probably played better teams. I think Riverheads got better down the stretch. 
yeah, I, I think Lord Botetat played better teams and looked better. Okay, go ahead and pick Lord Botetat again. That worked out last year. We'll to see. You, you know, talk to Coach Castro after the game, after after they won this year. That was interesting. I'm, I'm for that again. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens when they play. I want to see what Lord Botetat has at the beginning of the year and how they're playing at the beginning of the year before I pick that game. But I'm not just going to automatically say, yeah, Riverheads is the favorite in that game. I think well, right hey, now. Here's the way, here's the way I kind of look at that. Here's the way I kind of look at that game, right? I mean, this year, I think other than maybe Leland and, and some diehard Riverheads people, he felt like Lord Botetot was probably the favorite. I, didn't, yes. I felt like that was going to be a tough game for Riverheads to win. And and now I think going into this year, even if you want to say Lord Botetot's better, it could be a good game. I don't think anybody's going to say Lord Botetot should win that game. I, I think that's going to be the difference next year. Nobody's going to say Lord Botetot should win that game. You can say Lord Botetot could win the game, but not they should, I, I think. And especially being in in at Riverheads, I, I think – you know, at, at this point, I'm tempted to say Riverheads is going to be a slight favorite, if, if not a bigger than uh, than that favorite. But we'll see. If I'm picking it like today, yeah, maybe Riverheads. And I, I think it's going to be a much closer game than it was at Lord Botetot this year. But who knows when that game comes around? I'm just not I'm not ready to say they're a slam dunk favorite right now. I'm not saying what I usually say, which is Riverheads is going to win every game they play by three scores. Like, I'm not saying that today like I have in years past. Which I, I guess is how I felt Leland was trying to frame that. Um, Here's a question. Uh, will the pressure be on them at that point? Do you feel like they'll – because yeah, I, so I think we all agree – we'll all agree they'll yeah. be at 52 wins in a row – so they'll yeah. be tied for the state record. That'll be for the state record. Do they care? Will that? Will there be? Will the pressure get to them a little bit in that game enough to affect the outcome? You just can't have a pregame interview next year and and hear the phrase like, "Oh yeah, there's not pressure on them." You know, we we don't allow. You know, no, they just went a whole off season here and how great they were and having the nation's long winning streak. You know, there's no escape in that. So it's it's how they handle the pressure. I, yeah, that, and that's it with seventeen year old kids. That's that's the story. That's what that's going to be what decides it you know if it is a close game with lord bodzot or anybody else you know search draft in these last years they've been there i i think they're missing a lot so i don't know if they'll be there like in that position next year but they get in one of these close games is it more than just the pressure of a football game is it the pressure of 50 plus yeah i i will say lord bodzot is the only team on that schedule next year that i think riverheads should even be remotely worried about I know Stewart's draft has played them close in years past. That's not happening next year. Their entire offense just graduated. So I'm going to need to see Stewart's draft look like they can be on the same field before I say that. They didn't, they, they didn't look good against Central with Aaron Nice this year. I, I would be surprised if they can improve drastically by the time a Riverheads game comes up on that schedule the first time at least. Assuming they play twice again because both teams struggle to find opponents. Yeah, yeah, which is ridiculous, which at some point we'll probably talk about this summer. All right, uh, let's talk about basketball for a few minutes here. We've done a poor job on the podcast previewing the season. Patrick, you already have jumped in, and you're, you're covering Stanton High School's girls team uh, you know, with a lot of stories. And uh, so let's start there. Let's highlight what you're doing with that team and the behind-the-scenes look that we're getting. 
Well, we uh, are, are trying to do a, a bit of a different approach to, to how we cover sports this year. And I, I tried this a couple of years ago with the Fort Defiance baseball yeah, team. Out of the podcast that you were starting. Yeah, yeah. and then and then COVID uh, kind of got in the way of that because uh, I, I think they got one scrimmage in and a, a few practices, and I maybe wrote three or four stories, and then the uh, that that the the COVID ended their season. So we wanted to try this again with somebody we knew we wanted to. To, to do it. And I approached Eric Payne, the coach of the girls team in Stanton and said, what do you think? And we sat down and talked and we, we agreed that it was a good, good thing. And so we, we jumped in and, and done uh, they've played now four games. Uh, they've been playing for two weeks and we've got a couple of stories, a third story in this series, it's called uh, brewing the storm. Um, and it came, it, the third story will come out online tomorrow morning or well i'm actually i'm not sure when this <laughs> whenever this podcast up you can look on uh, on tuesday morning uh it'll be online so whenever uh, after tuesday morning you can read it on on newsletter.com um and we uh we um it, it's been it's been fun getting to know the players the coach um it's one of those things that uh you know the, the team is kind of vulnerable, right? They open up themselves to a reporter being there at, at all times and kind of listening and, and writing about the team. That's, that's, let's face it. I mean, this team, I think they're, they're a good team this year, but nobody's expecting them to, to win the Shenandoah uh, district or, um, you know, maybe even be in the top half of that district. So, so it's, it's been kind of fun to watch them and, and see what, um, what they have, they have one really good player in Emma Witt. They have some other good, you know, talented players, some younger players that, that have talent but need to, to really develop at a varsity level. They've only got three returning players this year. So uh, it's, it's been funny kind of watching them develop, watching practice, um, being in the locker room with them in between, you know, at four games and, and after games and, uh, and just getting to, to know the players. There's a lot of good stories there that we want to tell this year. And, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, Something I found interesting already is, I mean, self-admittedly from you in your article, you know, it, it seems like there's already attention back at the team, back at you about the articles going on. I, when, when, you, when there was the negative time after the, or during the game the other week and someone was, I guess, turned to you and told, told, them, told you to include it in the article. And so what's your reaction to that? I mean, you can understand there being a reaction to that much information and that, you know, the, everything that's going on there with that team and, and no one more than we know about any other team around. What, what's your reaction as the, as the guy writing it and, and producing um, what's causing that reaction? Well, okay. Uh, this, and I haven't written about this now. I, I don't think I will write about it. I, I thought I might write about it in this week's um, series, but it just didn't, didn't work. But um, after that story came out, you know, the coach came to me and said, Hey, you know, some of the players just are, are a little worried that there's too much drama. And so, He's like, would you talk to him? And so, yeah, we went in to a meeting after practice and I said, tell me what's on your mind and let me answer. And then let's decide where we go from here. And, you know, some of the younger players were like, it's a lot of, a lot of drama. We thought it was going to be more, you know, about features about us and stories about, uh, you know, female uh, women athletes and, and what it's like. And I said, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I want to do at some point, but a parent goes, crazy at the game and starts yelling at the coach you, you got to write about that I mean even if I had been just covering a game I'm writing about that 
because I'm sitting right next to him and it's right. during the game. So when they talk about that, the, the, the good thing was the three seniors on the team kind of stood up and said, hey, you know, we we kind of brought him in to write about what happens and this is what happened. And, uh, and you know, we're, we, we kind of, this is what we signed up for. This is what we signed on for. Um, he, yeah, he wrote some drama, but drama happened. So he's a news reporter and he's going to write it. So I appreciated that from the, from the seniors on the team, Kelsey Miller, Emma Witt, Sarah Lotz, the three seniors on that team that um, they kind of said, hey, this is what we signed up for and we don't have a problem with it. And then the younger players came around and said, okay, okay. Well, I, I guess it makes sense. And um, I got a chance to explain myself. So, yeah, there was a little bit of tension there, which I think they they thought, you know, I was writing too much drama. But, hey, I, I, Tracy, you're, 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 if, if you you are a, a reporter and all of a sudden you see a parent, youth parents and youth sports is a huge issue around the country. So when this happens, you got to write about it. So. Um, so it's, it's been it's been interesting, but I think they all came around and they all chat, they're a chatty team, so uh, they don't mind talking to me and uh, and and I've already gotten some really good story stuff that, that I'm surprised that they've been they've been willing to tell me about their own personal lives. So you know it's um, and stuff I want to write about at some point. So it's, it's been an adventure, and we're only uh, two weeks into the season. So. Well, that's that's good, and like you said, I mean. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like if you're if you're there with a job and something not normal happens, that's kind of something you're going to cover. So, or something of significance happens, you're going to cover it. So that's I, and I'm, and I'm, I'm surprised by that too because so. sometimes it's it's hard. It's hard when people have a story that they don't want or framed about a way they that doesn't paint them in the most positive light or some even though it's not about the players and. The negativity they're something they're doing wrong sometimes it's hard for them to to understand that and uh i'm very proud to know to hear that they uh stuck up for you and what you wrote there because i think that's an important thing i think if you're gonna um in today's day and age if you're gonna stop the kind of i i guess more outlandish behavior at youth sports you kind of got to bring attention to it and make the people be like oh i shouldn't do that because it's not the right thing to do, and other people will will hear about it. No, that's kind of the way we, you know, the way I, I think about. It. I mean, I am careful within a, in a locker room sure. to understand that there's some things in in that happen at a team in those walls that can't go outside oh, sure. of that that room, and so I respect that. But yeah, with the parents, uh, and, and it happens in a in a gym say, during a game. Yeah, it's unfolding in a public place that. too. Yeah, it's not behind closed doors or anything like that where like you were touching on there it's you know something that isn't meant for public consumption that when it's happening in public it's easier to write about yeah so the rest of the basketball slate uh you have plenty of stories all around uh the county not just at stanton so stick with the girls side what's kind of the outlook for the shenandoah district this year and you know are we going to see a repeat champion or are we going to mix it up this year so Fort Defiance is an interesting uh, story, right? Mike Gale takes over as coach yeah. there, and they're running uh, the. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I haven't found out if they have a nice nickname for that, uh, like like they did at uh, Stewart's draft. But what was it? We I think we texted around back in the spring. It was like Fort Defiance or something. Yeah, <laughs> so, something like that. So, um, but 
that's that, that's a team to watch. I think they probably have the most talent of anybody in the Shenandoah district. So we'll see how they adapt to to, to Mike's system. Uh, so far, it's it's been interesting. They they absolutely annihilated Rockbridge County, like eighty one to twenty five. But then Turner Ashby beat them pretty good. So, uh, and I don't know. I think it's going to be the same thing we used to see with the Stewart Strap boys, right? You don't know from, from one game to the next what you're going to get. Um, and it's tough to really figure out how good that team is. But I, th- I think Fort is probably the team to beat. The Wilson girls have played really well so far. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they they gave Spotswood a decent game the other day. I mean, Spotswood is, is the the premier program in the, in the Shenandoah Valley. And Wilson lost to them by 12 or something the other night. So I, I think, you know, the Wilson girls are, are playing pretty well. They lost a lot of talent last year, so I wasn't sure what to expect of them. But I think they're playing well. I'm curious to see kind of what Riverheads and Buffalo Gap do. Or Riverheads is so – they've only played a couple of games, so it's tough to tell. But I, I but I like Preston out there. You know, I think Preston Woods is a good coach, and I, I think that team could be pretty good. And then Buffalo Gap has got some some players. So I, I, I'm really looking forward. Buffalo Gap and Stanton play here in a, uh, another week, week and a half, something like that, here before uh, Christmas break. I, I think that could be a really good game. I think Stanton will be in the mix. You know, maybe maybe I'm a little too close to it, and maybe I'm a, a, a you know, seeing them, you know, everyday practice and, and games, maybe I'm a little close, but I think Stanton could be in that mix. Not probably not Fort Wilson good, but I think they could be right there with Riverheads and Buffalo Gap. I think that's your, your three teams fighting for third place in that district. And then, then you drop down Stewart Straff girls are going to, I think they could struggle some at this point. I, I think James Carter's a good coach and I think they'll, they'll come on as the season goes. And, and then Waynesboro just, I, I think, you know, I, I like Skylar Napier at, at, at Waynesboro. I love what she's doing with that program, but I'm not sure she has the talent this year to really make Waynesboro do well. So, so I, I think it'll be a it'll kind of be a, an interesting race between Fort and Wilson for the top spot, and, and then then we'll see after that. Uh, and Fort and Wilson have been battling for that top spot in in girls for for a while now. You know that that those two programs have been really good for the last few years. I think you'll see that again. So when it comes to the boys' side, you know, Fort, did, Fort Defiance did win the district last year. Um, they're, they're coming back. Uh, and But I, I wanted to ask you, because it just seems to me like Stanton is always that team that is there competing. Do you see Stanton as a, a viable challenger in the district this year and, and maybe even the favorite in the Shenandoah district this season? Uh, I see them as a challenger. I'm not sure the favorite. Uh, I, I think that Wilson went over Spotswood. The other day, and this is probably not the same Spotswood boys team as they have been sometimes in the past. But, but that win in overtime by the Wilson boys was impressive. I, I think right now maybe Wilson, especially with with some of that talent on there, Finn Irving is a heck of a ball player. Um, I think they're your favorite. Um, at this point, it's early. But okay. I think they're your favorite. But I think Stanton could be there, and uh, Stanton gave Spotswood a really. They lost the first game of the season to Spotswood by by a, a pretty good margin. And then they lost to him by a point here the other the other night. So I think Stanton's improving. I, I, I think Terrell Mickens, I, I really like him as a coach. And I think he's he's really good at developing talent. So I think uh, and he's got some young players on that team. And I think as you see them go through, they'll be a better team. So right now, you, you know, I, I think Stanton is really going to is going to challenge Wilson. I mean, you could see some some good games between those teams. Um, and, and I think there's a mega Buffalo gaps playing well Buffalo Gap's got some talent on that team well as well and um I really like what Chad Ward has done with that program the last few years so 
I'm not saying they're going to be quite at the level of maybe Wilson or even Stanton, but I think Gap could have a, have a good season. Uh, it bode well for them in class one there. That's right. Yeah, I think, I think that's a big thing for Buffalo Gap, both the boys and the girls program. Now playing in class one, I think they could make some some runs in the uh, – they can make – both those teams to make a run in the postseason. So, uh, so boys will be fun to watch. I don't think Fort's going to repeat as a district champion. So. All right. All right. Well, we usually ask you what you're binge watching, and, and you're welcome to volunteer that if needed. But I did want to actually ask you, what's your favorite Christmas movie? And that's a wide open question. If you want to bring in a diehard debate while we're sitting here, that's fine. But what's Diehard's not, die not a Christmas movie. So Fair enough. So that's <laughs> I agree with you. Um, it's, it's not a Christmas movie. But I don't know. I don't have anything shocking or surprising. Christmas Vacation. Yeah. It's been my favorite Christmas movie for a long time. I love, like, I love Vacation. And then I love Chevy Chase and that. I don't like that whole franchise. Like Vegas vacation is stupid, I think. And European vacation was not good. But I love vacation and I love Christmas vacation. So I think Christmas vacation is probably my favorite Christmas movie. I like Elf. I do like Elf a lot because I think Will Ferrell is just so funny in that. Um, but, it, it, you know, after that, I'm not sure there's a Christmas movie I really like. Like I'm not a big time. Like I watch some of the, like Christmas Story. I'm just not a I agree just with you on that. Never, I've never been. Um, you know, Home Alone and Home Alone Two, or you know, I don't know. I just they're those, okay. Those are my jams. Really, I, I like them. I mean, I, I don't have any problem with them. I'll watch them. We we've, we've watched both of them already this year. Um, you know, the Santa Claus and, and all those Tim Allen movies. Eh, they're you know, I can I can take them or leave them. Santa but, Claus, but Christmas Vacation, yeah. Christmas Vacation. I will watch from from. Thanksgiving until Christmas, I will easily watch Christmas Vacation 20, 25 <laughs> times. You know, it's just whenever it's on, I stop and watch it because I love that movie. I know all the yeah. lines by heart now. Oh, yeah. You know, my wife and I will sit there and watch it, and we'll call out the lines before they happen. And we just, we love it. Yeah, Elf in my house with little ones. Elf is the one that it's played twenty times in uh, thirty days there. But uh, I can handle vacation. That, I try to get one or two in uh, because I, it has to happen after they go to bed. <laughs> I don't well, want I don't them to see that there's no line, Russ. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Although, thing in that you know, if, it's, if you watch it on TV, it's it's edited down pretty yeah, pretty That's good it. anymore. In fact, I get uh, I get a lot, little upset with that because uh, some of the good lines are missing. Uh, if you're watching on TV. So. Oh, the whole rant and everything. That's why you got to watch it. Yeah. You got it. The ending when it's all falls apart. And the I was going to say, I think it's on HBO Max now, so you can stream it if you have HBO yeah. Max. You can go between really? Buzzfeed and Christmas Vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. Now I got to. Okay. Well, I, I need to watch that. Your kids but, are HBO enough. Max. <laughs> I know, that's fine. I, need, I just need, I didn't know it was on HBO Max. Now I'll just watch it all the time. Um, although. With HBO Max, I'm so far behind. I got to get back to a succession and finish uh, this season. This so season has been so good. <laughs> okay, don't tell me. I've, I've only gotten through one episode, and I just have not had time. I've been yeah, so yeah, yeah. buried with work. What have you been I doing? Have not watched it. Yeah, what have you been doing? <laughs> no, not you don't have any time on um, Friday and Saturdays. What's going on? Or school board so meetings on Tuesday? What are no, we doing? Yeah. So, but next week I'm off. Like like the 22nd, I'm off for a week. I plan to watch <laughs> no, all no, the successions. No, no. Patrick, what are you talking about? 
don't you remember a couple of years ago when Augusta County just canceled school two days before Christmas vacation? I mean, you're going to have plenty no. to ride. We're, we're on our way to another early cancellation here. What are you talking about? Oh, no, 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 please, because I need that week. I need that week to catch up on Succession and Hawkeye. Um, I've never wa- I haven't watched the Beatles documentary yet, which I really want to watch. You know so what? I got a lot a of Beatles stuff I watch. I'm not a Beatles guy. I'm, I'm not. not I don't have Beatles. I, I respect. I respect what the Beatles are. I know other people love them. I, I'm not saying they're bad or something. I'm not like Joe that just because I don't like them say I didn't. It's I'm not saying they're bad. I just think they're overrated. Um, but I'm not a Beatles guy. Ever, but, uh, and I am so interested in that because I saw some of those clips where they're just sitting around like working out the songs and get back is like the only Beatles song I think I have even downloaded like that. That's like the only Beatles song I care about. And they're sitting there like coming up with it. And like the process of that I'm like so interested in that and to watch that. I think that's so cool. I will tell you Beatles radio on my Sirius XM. I listen to it like all the time. Like I listen to it so much. My family, when they get in their cars, I, oh, the Beatles again, <laughs> I, I, I just, I think they're the greatest, the greatest band in the history of rock music um and i and i i want to watch that documentary so bad i just like had zero time to do it so yeah. I, i'm i'm planning on doing that next week as well the so, length so. of that's what's going to hurt me because I'm, I'm really interested in that song thing i there's probably a lot of other stuff i don't care as much about so i <laughs> i probably need like a cheat sheet on when those kind of scenes are happening no i'm not going <laughs> to watch it i have no interest in it i just it ain't billy joel i don't care the Beatles and Dave Matthews and Bruce Springsteen can eat it. Agreed. All three of them. I don't care for any <laughs> I of them. I know, these. Joe. I've been, on, I've been doing this with you a little bit. I know. I, I uh, yeah, but I mean, let's just, in case it's somebody's first episode that they happen to be listening to, I don't, all three of those are popular. I'm not saying they're bad musicians. I just don't care for their You've music. You said Bruce Springsteen is a bad musician. You, hey, let me, let me I know. I've said he's a are. bad singer. <laughs> oh, man, Joe. Joe. Uh, okay, look. <laughs> I'm glad. I just thought we don't have Barber on when you say this. <laughs> I'm a huge Dave Matthews fan, but I'm not going to sit here and say Dave Matthews is is one of the great rock bands of all time. I'll give you that. But but the Beatles and Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> two of the top, top. Bruce Springsteen's Christmas song makes me hate Christmas. That's like one of my favorite Christmas songs. Oh, when he's singing that ever. song, I just wish the fans would have booed him off the stage. This is going to be mine. My new no, thing no, for no. this podcast is just to get guests that I know will argue, like like just set Joe up because I know these things that Joe just goes crazy about, and I'm just gonna start getting guests. Just but to, again, you know. it's not like I think Bruce Springsteen is a bad musician. I I respect his ability to play instruments, even to write songs somewhat. But yeah, I just. I think when he's singing, I just don't think he's that good of a singer. And he did this like, whole New Orleans album, that, like a whole like uh, New Orleans feel album. I love that thing. That was great. Yeah. I miss that. I everything, guess. everything Bruce Springsteen has done, <laughs> it's, it's magic. He is he is a masterful songwriter. Yeah, there's dark magic singer, too. Musician, he's, he's great. So don't, no, don't don't get me started. I love I love. Bruce I'm writing this up with Barbara next time, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Nobody's perfect. These people all have flaws that we bring on. I mean, it's not their sports knowledge. But all right, Patrick. Uh, well, enjoy watching Elf a couple more times on Christmas vacation. I'll I'll be joining you on the Elf. I'll also be watching Christmas Story and Home Alone, even though you won't be. And uh, have a good holiday. We won't bug you until after the holidays, but uh, we look forward to seeing you around the gym and uh, covering basketball and reading more about those 
the Stanton Storm girls there and all that's going on there. Thanks, guys. See you, Patrick. Thanks again to Patrick Kite for coming on and talking to us. Uh, we 19th always appreciate time. it. 19th time he was on here. Yeah, we always appreciate that. That's always fun. But Leland, I will go ahead and give it to you to go first. What is dominating your life? My yearly plug for my mom's uh, you know, business and livelihood. And uh, the Nutcracker is this coming weekend at Stanton High School, making the return to Stanton High School. And all seats will be reserved, so go ahead if you're wanting to come to that thing. Get on the internet, figure out your seat and all that for it, so uh, proper protocols can be adhered to. Uh, But I encourage you to come. I think Saturday is the right day to come, and I'm never one to say Saturday or Sunday. They're both great, and all the dancers put in a lot of hard work and, and training to get to this and a lot of practice just for this specific ballet. Um, but on Saturday, uh, I call it the Finley show because my daughter's in it on that day. Um, and, you know, she only appears for a couple minutes at one point during it. But I will have to say, I have to, I have to open my door a little bit. My niece, my oldest niece, uh, the, the first baby of that side of the family, she is Clara. She is the lead role in the Nutcracker this year. So I'm very proud of her. And I, I say it, uh, you know, facetiously that it's, it's Finley's. It's, it's her Nutcracker. That's the Saturday night is Gabby's Clara in the Nutcracker. And I couldn't be more proud than to be able to watch her do that this Saturday. And then I'm also very involved in it with the, the family business there. So uh, I'll be watching from backstage, which is my, my favorite way to watch them. And uh, all week, every night I will be t- doing stuff there. And uh, it's, it wears you out, but then uh, it's always nice on the weekends to see good performances. And I know uh, it's always a great show from from out front in the auditorium. So I encourage everybody to come out and watch it. It's a, it's a good date night or afternoon or, uh, you know, go watch something different that you don't see every day. And, you know, it's not like the Nutcracker is one of those stories that you see, you know, every day on the television. So, uh, you know, it's something something different to come do and support local art and support all these kids that, you know, really enjoy putting these productions on. And, uh, we, we enjoy putting them on for them and all the behind the scenes guys that help me out, all the dads backstage and all the moms back there too. Uh, you know, all the hard work that goes into it. Uh, but not, no more than what my mom does and my, and my sister's involved. And, uh, you know, it's a, it takes a lot, but it's, it's always worth it to see how happy they are and how well they perform. So it's, it's awesome. Well, congratulations. Saturday, Saturday at seven, uh, Sunday at, I think it's two, <laughs> but get on the internet and check. I'll be there much earlier than that on both those days. Um, but yeah, I encourage everybody to come out to it and, uh, and support stuff like that and, and make sure you know, if you're raising kids and, and they have never seen, you know, a ballet or something like this is a really good opportunity because this is not as, as stuffy an atmosphere as it would be in a big city, uh, ballet situation. And you'll probably see some people, you know, and, and it's supporting local. So that's more affordable. Cool. So um, but congratulations to your niece and, um, yeah, it's one of those milestone roles and, and not that there's, there's other great roles to have to be had in that ballet. Uh, but all, you know, when you're, you're the picture on the poster for one of the nights of the ballet, it's, that's really cool for her. Yeah. Congratulations to her and good luck to everyone. Uh, break a leg as they say on stage, but, um, but not literally, but hope it goes well for everybody involved and, 
I, I saw that on the sheet here, and I wanted you to go first. I, normally, I would take that from you, but I wanted you to go first because that's local and, and important, and I agree. People should support that. I'm just happy. It's, it's a week later this year. Usually, I'm rushing back. Yes, to I noticed that. A final or a state final, or last this year, it would have messed me up with the Riverheads game being at 430. It really would have messed up my, uh, my home life here, so uh, it really worked out well. Um, this year. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's spreading everything out in some ways that's good. And, uh, so we'll, we'll focus on the good and, and it's, it, that's happened this weekend. I noticed that. Uh, so what is dominating my life is Sunday. There was controversy galore in F1. It was a thrilling finish. I mentioned that it was last week that it was tied in the standings. It was only the second time in the history of F1 that it was tied going into that final race in the standings. And Lewis Hamilton had the fastest car the entire day, was dominating. But on the first lap, he goes inside of the turn. Now, what the race officials decided was Max Verstappen kind of forced him out there and Lewis Hamilton did not maintain an advantage from cutting that corner. I find that hard to believe, seeing as going into that turn, they were side-by-side, side, and coming out of that turn, Lewis Hamilton had a second-and-a-half lead, but that's what the race officials decided. Race goes on. Max Verstappen is now trying to pull out any strategy and all, all that he can, making different stops, switching tires, and then uh, they're talking to the Red Bull kind of uh, team leader, and, uh, the crew, and he kind of just says, yeah, we're going to need a miracle if we're going to win this thing. Uh, because they were so far behind Lewis Hamilton still. Well, no sooner does he say, say that than a car hits an inside barrier, which brings out a safety car. And the significance of that is the, sa the virtual safety car means – Everybody slows down to 40% of their normal speed, and the, the uh, gap is maintained. With an actual safety car, it bunches up the field. They all come back together. Well, there were lapped cars between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. And as they're going through, the announcers are talking about, like, wow, we don't know what they're going to do here uh, because it's close to the end of the race, and if they let these lapped cars through to catch back up to the end of the line, then we're not going to have enough time to race. But if they leave them there, it's going to be really hard for Max Verstappen to catch Lewis Hamilton. Um, but that seems to be the only way that they're going to be able to go racing. Well, the race officials decide they're not going to let the lap cars through because they want to have the race. They want it. They want to get some race. Well, then they decide, you know what? We won't let all the lapped cars through. We'll just let the lapped cars between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen through. Oh. Which is not really how it's normally done. And and the the safety car went in almost like as soon as it got to the pit line. Like they just made a rash. They were like, okay, now. And the safety car goes in. And so like Mercedes is losing their minds because they're like, this is not how this is supposed to happen. What the heck? Uh, the lap cars are definitely not to the back of the line. What the heck? And uh, they go, they start racing. Max Verstappen is now 
has fresher tires uh, because he pitted again during the uh, safety car to get fresher tires. So he is now caught back up uh, to Lewis Hamilton and blows by him and ends up winning the championship. Mercedes has appealed it to the court of arbitration. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But as it currently stands, Max Verstappen and Red Bull are the champions of Formula Where One. Where was that race? That race was in Abu Dhabi. Mm. Wow. Those guys are going to be uh, under fire there, the race organizers. Well, the race organizers are F1, so that's different. They're not Abu Dhabi affiliated. They're just... Um, that's the race officials that go from track to track. Is going to be under fire here. Of oh, the race director is very much under fire. Mercedes was was not very happy. Um, Red Bull was cursing him lap one, uh, and for most of that race because that was their only chance was for that to change. And then there at the end of the race, Mercedes, uh, their team chief uh, Toto Wolf broke his second headset in as many weeks. Um, so in frustration, so he is not very happy and, uh, has definitely, he's the reason there it's appealed to the court of arbitration. So, uh, we'll see what happens with that, but I would imagine they're probably not going to overturn it. Um, uh, but we'll see people saying I'm wrong. doesn't usually happen. So, well, the F one, yeah, they already appealed to the F one, which is, uh, that was funny because the FIA is like, you know what? We appealed, it, we looked at it, and we did nothing wrong. And I'm like, oh, surprise! You didn't oh, overturn yeah. your own yeah. decision. So, uh, yeah, that was that was not surprising. So, the court of arbitration seemed to be the likely destination for that, uh, and that's where it's going. Uh, Request part of the party planning committee, right? Yeah, Toto Wolf is not part of the party planning committee, so tough break for him. But what I know that you need to know. We could have put this earlier, but we decided to throw it here at the end. Uh, Miami hires Mario Cristobal in what was kind of an an unusual coaching search situation. Manny Diaz is still the coach for the longest time, while Miami is very obviously looking to replace him. And Mario Cristobal was kind of that favorite. And two reasons, I think, that might have happened the way it did. One, Mario Cristobal, before he was at Oregon, was at FIU, and um, when they when Pitt ended up going with Pat Narduzzi, they wanted Mario Cristobal, and Mario Cristobal was almost the Pitt coach, but then at the last minute said, "You know what? I don't want to be the Pitt coach," and stayed at FIU for a little longer and kind of left Pitt in the lurch after they thought they had their guy. So I think that might be one reason, because Miami was like, all right, well, this guy's had this kind of history in the past. We don't want that to happen to us. But And maybe the more important factor in this is Miami didn't have their AD until after Mario Cristobal was hired. Now, they did announce their AD a few days later, but that wasn't... They didn't have an athletic director during this situation. So the person who usually would be like, hey, guys, we kind of need to fire this guy first, is not in the room. Yeah, I mean, it, absolutely terrible situation. I, I mean, abs- I, I couldn't believe it. I, I got smart about it online. When, you know, here's the official announcement, when Manny Diaz finally does get fired, which is like three days 
after it seemed like it was done with getting Cristobal there. And I was like, I mean, I've known about this and I host a podcast that talks about Riverheads football. Like, like, you know, I, you know, not that we only talk about that, but that's what we talked about lately. But like, you know, I, I don't, I have nothing to do with it. And I've known this for days. Like you think it says, and then when Manny Diaz on the way out has to kind of reference the weirdness of that and uh, unprofessionalism of that, I think really speaks volumes. And I, I think Barber on Twitter also kind of went after the situation and, was asking, you know, was the media guys down there going to ask, like, how does how does he feel about the university, you know, that he's now working for, negotiating with somebody else while they still had somebody else hire? Like, it's just was so out of order, so bad, so na- so bad. And, and you know, Diaz lands on his feet. He's going to be a D coordinator at Penn State. He's going to take over the role Pry left uh, for left Virginia Tech for. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I it's just nasty. But I. I just don't – I guess it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And the opening comments from this guy, I just – it just makes me feel like this is going to be more of the same from Miami. We've been seeing this song and dance from Miami for a while now where it's like they think they're back. And, I mean, we're getting so far away from what they were that I just feel like we're just still going to be spinning our wheels. Like maybe they have a good little season here or there, but I, I don't see them winning national championships. I don't see them – dominating the ACC coastal like the ACC has planned ever since the day they put Miami in the conference. And I just, I just feel like this is more of the same kind of hire. I mean, that this, everything they're saying about him is what they said about Manny Diaz when they hired him. So I just, I'm just not sold on this guy. And I, I think I, I probably am lean making it more negative about him because of what the university did, but I think he, this guy's full of it. I, I don't, I don't like him. Okay, and that's fine. Um, I like it. Miami guy is not, you know, that's not a hard thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's our reasons. I think rivalry. reasons. I think this has the potential to be different. Um, he has been successful at a Power Five program. He has been successful at Oregon. At the Pac-12. I mean, you don't give them any respect. But it is a Power Five conference in the eyes of the playoff committee. So Power, power Five's meaningless. The Pac-12 was as good as the ACC this year. It was a Sun Belt. Should he be better? The the yeah. Not state's coach. Where's he at? The Pac-12 was as good as the ACC <laughs> this year. Um, but I I'll also say this: I, Miami is actually putting way more investment into their athletics than they have in the past. And Mario Cristobal is making a lot more than Manny Diaz did, or Al Golden did, or even Mark Rick did. So it's a lot more money being put in. And I just now obviously money in itself is not going to fix the problem. It's how you use that money. And if it's used wisely and if the guys which, in the door can, can do and, their job, which, you know, which crimes are they covering up? You know, it depends on how you spend your money. But so I think that it has potential to be why Miami gets better. The other reason is uh, because I'm curious to what Clemson is going to be. Clemson is losing both of their coordinators in Venables and now Elliot. And we get to see, is Clemson what Clemson is because of Dabo Sweeney? Or is Clemson what Clemson was because of Brent Venables and Tony Elliott? The answer is absolutely a collection of those coaches. Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. I think, I think Dabo Sweeney would say that. But I think Dabo Sweeney has faith that he's got the next guy, you know. You know well, he, we'll find he out. Ladder and he'll be able to reload and stuff because that's what we see what Alabama does. That's the, that's the confidence Dabo's going to come with. It's like, well, Nick Saban reloads and this guy reloads, you know. I can do it too. And, and we're going to see this is 
this is the first chance for him to reload because he had those guys forever. He had them for that whole run. This is the first time he had to reload. Alabama reloads every year. They lose a coordinator every single season. I was going to say, but and they also get high. They also get big names as their coordinators. Like they'll have people who maybe don't work as head coaches come there and rehabilitate their careers. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who Clemson gets. Yeah. And, and that remains to be seen. But it's why I think it's important. Uh, it's a bummer because I don't think Pry is getting handed a quality product. Um, no, Fuente should be licking his chops right now. Fuente should be good. We should have had been in the ACC championship mm-hmm. game this year, and we should be licking our chops now with what everything, all the decay that's around us in the ACC Coastal. But no, we're just oh, we're going to spend more money too. We're one of the one of the of them as well that we're also needing to late in the game spend more money on our football program. We're not ahead of the game like all these winning teams are. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's probably. Probably the worst uh, worst break there for Virginia yeah. Tech is that they, are, they aren't in a good position to take advantage now while Clemson could potentially be down. And yeah. Miami is just now starting their investment process, and that's going to take time. And that's the thing with Miami. I, Miami hiring a Miami guy, I think that's what bothers me. I don't think – you know, I've watched too many 30-for-30s on what Miami has been, and I've heard of too much controversy surrounding this program – not so long ago that I, 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 I don't think Miami style in college sports works anymore. Cause I think there's just too much drama is going to come. There's too much outside noise and you know, all the guys that are going to spend money, you know, in the ID, uh, in the NILs for Miami players because they're, you know, dumping cocaine money into the program. I, I just, I don't, I just don't think Miami works anymore. I think they need to have a, a, a less Miami of a guy leading that. That's how I feel. That's how you feel, but I mean, when that program has been successful, it's been because they do it a certain way. Yep, I would make make Miami great again. It's good. So we'll see what happens. Um, I think I don't think Brian Kelly's going to work at LSU. He has a ten year contract. Yeah, I I do worry that Brian Kelly will not work at LSU. I I don't. How much more is his accent going to get? He's dancing and stuff. I saw that yesterday. I think Steve sent us that today. Like, I I just don't, it's just not vibing. And I never, for the moment I heard it, I said, that ain't going to work. I think Lincoln Riley can work at USC. Will it? I don't know, but I think it can. I think he has that style that can work at USC. I think he's going to embrace Hollywood the way that they could use that to their advantage. I think it can work in the Pac-12 out there. Um, I'm worried about Brent Venables at Oklahoma being that leader of a team the face and the voice of the football team i think like bud foster he was really good on that defensive side he could focus on that defense he'd be that crazy lunatic on the sideline coaching up his defense i'm worried about him sitting in the hot in the in the hot seat after a tough loss you know a two-point loss to somebody in the acc and what's he gonna say how's he gonna react or is he gonna close up like a clam or is he you know dabo can you know all shucks guys a little bit and it kind of works. I, you know, how's Brenton going to handle that in Oklahoma? A lot of pressure on that job. Yeah. I, I would say Lincoln Riley I, of the new coaches. I think Lincoln Riley has the best chance for early success. I think he is going to a program at USC where if he can recruit well, he can turn that around quick. I don't think the PAC 12 is great. I think it's a lot easier. It's going to be a lot easier to win at USC than it would have been to stay at Oklahoma and 
USC has the tradition. They have all of that. Um, so I think for USC, that was a fantastic hire. I think he can turn that around. Do I think they win a national championship? I don't know. Um, I think he wins a national championship at USC before he would win one at Oklahoma. I think he is more likely to win one at USC than Oklahoma, I guess is my point. Yeah, path there is easier. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. I like their names higher if Marcus Freeman. I thought I, that was a good that's hire. That's where I was going to go. That's what I was going to say. My only, my only thing I would say different, I think Marcus Freeman could go 11-1 and one next year. I don't think Lincoln Riley's going 11-1 and one next year. I think Marcus Freeman Probably can not. keep it going. Yeah. He's been a big-time recruiter for them. Uh, he's definitely – the players love having him there. Uh, I think that's a great hire. I think that was the perfect hire. I think if they got anybody else, it would have been a mistake. So I, I will put him as probably the best hire, but that was also a different situation. You know, they, they had to figure out what they needed to do from an 11-1 team that finished fifth in the nation at the end of the regular season and all of a sudden needed a new coach. So I, I, he, has, he has a full basket, so that, that helps him greatly in this conversation. Uh, but I also think he's good to, to, to go with it there. I will say I don't think he wins a national title at Notre Dame, though. No. I, that's a team that I don't know if they can do it the way they, the way they do it, which is they have a strict academic standard there. They're not going to lower it for anybody. That's going to be hard to win a national title in today's college football. It's, it just is. And so that's why I worry about him doing that. I, I just think they're in the, I don't like Notre Dame. They're in that group of teams though, that if it's not Alabama, Clemson or Ohio state win a national championship or, you know, Alabama top SEC team or Ohio State winning a national championship, then who is it? Notre Dame's in that next group because they've been knocking on the door. They've been in the playoff. They were number five this year. So, like, he doesn't have to really raise it up much. He's just got to get over a little hump, and and he's going to have his team right right there with an opportunity to. Uh, They'd have to do it for the first time since 1988. I mean, there's it hasn't been Alabama-Clemson that far back. Yeah. The word never just – yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, but college football wasn't back what it was in 88. Yeah, it's different, it's different. now. And it's more Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. You know, it's it's more of those repeating teams year yeah, after Yeah, but year I think that- even insert different name, same kind of deal. Like, I just, look, the standards and what we overlook in terms of putting people on a field on a Saturday has changed. So Notre Dame not doing that, that's fine. That's great for Notre Dame. I wish more programs took that kind of stance. Apparently JMU is not getting the transfer from Duke that they thought they were going to get because apparently he's not academically eligible to go to JMU, which I found surprising if he was at Duke. But, um, I mean, my education is at JMU. I'm not knocking the academics at JMU, but... I would have thought it would have been harder for me to get into Duke than JMU. Uh, maybe not. Um, that might be a situation of that kid can play football, so Duke looked the other way. I don't know. But apparently uh, that, that doesn't happen at Notre Dame, I guess is my point. And I think it it will happen at USC. I think it will happen at Oklahoma. I think it will happen at LSU. I think it will happen at Miami. Oregon, Virginia Tech, UVA. Florida, TCU, Duke, maybe not UVA as much as the others, because I know that that was allegedly something that was a problem for some of the coaching candidates, but 
it's not at the same level as Notre Dame's, and Notre Dame is able to also just be better. But I just don't think – I think until they drop that, I don't think you're going to see Notre Dame. They might make a playoff or occasionally, but they're not going to win a national championship. I don't know. They've just been knocking on that. I mean, they've been in a playoff. They've been in a national championship game. But that gap between them and the other teams in the playoff is just so vast every time they get in it. Got to get to that game. Man, I, I, I guess I just look at it. I was like, they're so much closer than we are. That's the sad thing. And have been. And yeah. And have been. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I'm not we saying that they don't have a better chance than Virginia Tech right now, but I'm just it saying, just if you're you asking me, like, do I, I think they have, they have a shot? No, not really. They don't have a chance. Then <laughs> what are we? It's kind of like I've. It's kind of like we say with Class One teams. Someone is in the state championship. Does that mean they have if a better shot than the other Class One teams? I guess, but it doesn't mean they have a shot. If you're telling me Hillary Swank isn't pretty, <laughs> she's prettier than me. Like, what are you saying about me? Yeah, I'm saying Virginia Tech's in a bad place. I. Don't think I've sugarcoated that. Um, but I, I'll say it again. I think Lincoln Riley, because of that, I think Lincoln Riley has the best shot of any of these coaches to win a national title. It seems like a really good fit out there. It really does. I think Brett Pry is a good fit. I just, he's got a lot to prove. And Lincoln Riley's done a lot of winning. So that's the difference there. And we're talking two different levels of you know, historic programs. Mm-hmm. I, I realize, I acknowledge that. Um, I don't know. I think Billy Napier, while I didn't join in on the um, hate on Napier during his press, press conference to Florida, I do think he's, he's definitely a lower key individual than they're used to having at Florida. I think he's not going to have that fire and that spunk that we're used to seeing out of a Florida head coach. And uh, maybe that'll be good for him, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I start to worry about that fit there too. Yeah. Uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. But we'll see how that plays out. We'll keep an eye I'm on that. I'm only rooting for one of these programs. So although although I don't like any of these people, I want them all to lose. So. Sure. But what I, do you know so that we I need made, to know? I made an art. We had an argument about these coaches. I'm, I have this little list that we're going to track at some point. I'll, I'll kind of update from the notes we just said there uh, just to kind of keep track. Because I think this year is a monumental year for coaches making moves, especially at power schools and, you know, both Virginia schools. So I, I will kind of want to track you know, a year, two years, three years from now, what these coaches are doing and, and keep track of that. Cause I, my money's on Brian Kelly being the first one gone. I do not think it's going to work at LSU for him. I don't know. And that's a program that'll pay him to leave. Billy Napier's in that running. Maybe so. That'd be bad for him. I'm not against that guy. I, I mean, if if Whit Babcock would have told me that was the best guy for our job, I'd have, I'd, I'd have found excitement for him. USC's but, been quick to fire people here recently, too. Man. All right. What I know that you need to know is that our football coverage has ended, and I'm going to miss it, man. I love covering the live high school sports on the radio and, and having, you know, the, the in-person experience with these games and, and having that involvement of covering them for the radio and having that in-depth knowledge. So, I just wanted to kind of put a cap on our season. I know we got done with it with Chip on Saturday down at Salem, and we kind of set our to-dos about that there. But I, I, I'm going to miss it until next fall. I always get so excited for high school football. I already started my spreadsheet for next year and started mock, marking people off and uh, looking at what the schedule is going to look like. And 
yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss, uh, miss that. And I'm not doing any basketball coverage this year or any, or planning to, uh, you know, barring needing to fill in for somebody. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm off the live air for a while and I'm going to miss it. And, uh, I'm, you know, those Friday, those weeks go faster when you're looking forward to Friday and covering a game and having that task to do on Friday night. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. And it, it's been a fun season. Um, uh, you know, not surprising that Riverheads won another state championship. We'll see what next year brings and well, yeah, but it's been fun and it's been for me, it's been fun covering this historic run that Riverheads is on the past few years. And it's been fun calling Stewart's draft, you know, on their runs the past few years. I know they didn't go as deep this year, but there's a lot of good teams in this area, whether it's Buffalo Gap or Stewart's draft or, you know, what what Coach Jarvis has been able to build at Waynesboro, uh, what Coach Bugden's doing at Wilson. That's, that's what I get really excited about, those programs turning up. That's, yeah, you know. so it'll be interesting to see if they can carry that on to next year or not and uh, what, what next year brings. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And, and uh, you know, I know you get to keep doing live action uh, coverage of games, but I'll, I'll miss it here for a little bit. And I like that dynamic on, that, on those Friday nights. I, you know, our approach on this podcast is far different than what we do during a game. You know, during the game, we're delivering information and facts and, and dis- description. And then this is our time to, you know, just argue and make up arguments and 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 talk about things in a in a calmer or not not, not usually calmer, but yeah, you know, a provide commentary. Back. Yeah, and and uh, so yeah, I'm gonna miss that that factor being in there because I think that keeps me a little bit grounded. Uh, you know, this is this this off season gets us where we start arguing about college football playoffs too hard. So, <laughs> well, one of the teams that I've always fought for is in it this year. So, yeah. That never was going to happen. You were stupid to think that, Leland. It's a dumb idea that anybody would ever think that Cincinnati would be let in this playoff. Well, one year later. So, if you have enjoyed listening to the X Sports podcast this week or any week, make sure you are subscribed to us on Podbean, Apple, Google, or Spotify, and make sure you're ready for us to drop episodes at any given time whether we drop on Mondays or Tuesdays, usually Tuesdays, but some weeks we put them out early, especially around the holidays with the holiday schedule. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Also, feel free to interact with us on Twitter or Facebook or emailing us. Uh, Twitter and Facebook is at YaksportsPod. The email is YaksportsPod at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll interact with you any way, which way you like, but those are the most direct ways for us to hear your thoughts and uh, support or criticism of the of what we're talking about or agreeing with Joe or agreeing with me. And uh, so make sure you're checking us out on those locations as well. But make sure you're telling your friends of what we're doing here on the Exports Podcast. We're jumping hard into basketball season now. And uh, it was good to talk to Patrick tonight about some of what we're looking forward to there. But we'll also be touching on wrestling as well. So we get the whole winter season to dive into. It's already started, and we're looking forward to that. So make sure you're tuning in us next week for our special holiday episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. And until then, we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.